Good morning. I'm Frank Kaufman, president of the Settlement Project. Good morning. There's a brief podcast entitled, Who Won the Midterms? The midterms should be over. They're almost over. There's still some places where there are counts going on. Statistics report that President Biden led Democrats to the best midterm results for a first-time president's party in 20 years. I guess that's a record similar to being the presidential candidate with the greatest number of votes in the history of the United States. So evidently, President Biden is a truly miraculous president in his unprecedented popularity every time votes are involved. The fact that places are still counting on November 26th is indicative of a corrupt and broken election system. One of the states still counting is Arizona for its gubernatorial candidate. Arizona is especially interesting for a few reasons. First is that the person who just declared themselves victorious as the governor is the very same person who oversaw the elections and refused to recuse herself from that task uh, under constant pressure and requests. Uh, Imagine being the person who is overseeing the elections in which you yourself are a candidate. I've talked to people around the world that are utterly speechless, literally speechless, when they heard that a person who is running for office is the person running the elections. This person sent out thousands of erroneous ballots less than a month before election day. And on election day, had 72 of 115 polling centers. That's 63% of the polling centers with material problems, with the tabulators not being able to tabulate ballots. This resulted in substantial voter suppression. This is a person who actually should be brought before the court for election interference as the Secretary of State. Instead, it's the person who just declared herself the victor in this election. Only a partisan could be okay with this. Apart from the persistent embarrassment in Arizona and its assault against American citizens' most sacred right and duty, a runoff election is also afoot in Georgia. Georgia is another interesting state. It's the state of the famed person who magically is somehow and uniquely not an election denier and an iconic iconic champion of the left. This person was just robbed yet again of a second legit, quote-unquote, legitimate win. With these exceptions, more the, the results are more or less in. There's a couple of Cong- uh, House seats still up in some unsolved fashion or another. With that, the Republicans took the House with at least a 220 to 213 seat majority. And finally, we're waiting for the Herschel Walker-Warnock runoff in Georgia for a Senate seat. Presently, the Republicans have... 49 seats, the Democrats have 50. If you recall or know that the vice president casts the deciding vote in uh, stalemates in the Senate, the 
vice president being Kamala Harris, the vice president of Democrat Joe Biden, then even if Walker defeats Warnock in Georgia, the 50-50 draw will still leave Democrats with the tie-breaking vote of the vice president. Even though Republicans recovered control of the House, effectively ending one-party rule, which is extremely important, uh, one-party rule leaves the citizenry either on one side or the other almost always struggling. So a balance, especially in this day and age, is important. So even though Republicans did successfully end one-party rule, both Democrats and Republicans view the Republican results as disappointing or even a failure. Two realities caused uh, Republicans and Democrats to, dis to define this as a failure for the Republicans. One is that the party out of power always wins significant, significantly during the midterm elections, and Republicans completely failed to do that. The second thing is that President Biden is overseeing the most abysmal record of failure of any president in recent memory, or perhaps ever. Here are some facts that describe, that attest to the, his record being assessed in such a harsh way. He, president Biden has seen inflation at the highest rate in 40 years. Gas prices doubled since he took office. Violent crime is off the charts, rising precipitously in all major cities across the country and, and even outside of the cities. President Biden has depleted the strategic petroleum reserve from a glut, from an excess, to now reaching crisis levels. Immigration has soared to the third highest level in 97 years. Uh, people basically see this as having no southern border at all, resulting in massive drug deaths and who knows what else in terms of national security. Drug overdoses have reached a record high under President Biden's presidency. This is from the CDC, his own CDC. U.S. investors have lost uh, $7.6 trillion since Biden took office. Internationally, Biden oversaw the single greatest military debacle in U.S. history with humanitarian horrors and the, uh, and the abandonment of close to $100 billion of brand new military equipment in Afghanistan. And during Biden's administration, Russia's adventurism has led to an all-out war that has reached levels of uh, threats of nuclear escalation, something we have never seen in our lifetime, and so far has cost ta U.S. taxpayers cl close to $100 billion in quote-unquote foreign aid. This, this is just a small list of the established facts from the past two years describing the President Biden's uh, administration and results. For this reason, that the, that the Republicans could not advance significantly during the midterms is, is a genuine blemish on something that went wrong in Republican strategy and Republican reality. The Washington Examiner summed up the Republican midterm performance with this question. If Pennsylvania Republicans cannot beat a stroke victim who once held up an unarmed man at gunpoint, who can they beat? 
several news outlets pointed out record successes for Biden and the Democrats. These poor results came as a complete shock to Republicans. And it was said that this has led to, quote unquote, soul searching. But I haven't seen soul searching as much as I've seen finger pointing. Of course, President Trump is to blame. Despite his endorsement record, 174 wins and nine losses of his endorsed candidates. That's absolutely like wildly off the charts in excess of any uh, political figure ever. Despite having this endorsement record of 174 wins, nine losses, of course, President Trump became the singular cause for all Republican failures and disappointments. That's fine. Uh, I think that's a failure of genuine uh, analytical genius because, as we all know, Trump is responsible for absolutely everything bad that happens in the world, and he has been since June 16th, 2015. If he's responsible to blame for everything bad, of course he's also responsible to blame for Republican failures during the midterms. Of course, Trump didn't help his own cause by foolishly attacking his own governor just two days before elections in which Governor DeSantis was running for uh, in, in Florida and Trump is mocking him publicly in front of millions of viewers. And then a couple of days later, out of the blue, he starts mocking uh, Glenn Youngkin, another promising and bright young candidate. But apart from Trump being his own worst enemy and, and the cause of all Republican struggles because he's the cause of everything bad, the chattering class and alarmists and hand ringers have come up with a few miles of newsprint full of political observation and analysis and uh, a lot of good and interesting things to read there. This is my analysis of the midterms. It, I basically make just two points. The democratic process, namely campaigns and elections, is a form of war. Secondly, combatants in this war in America have different beliefs regarding what elections are. My first point, elections are war. Campaigns and elections are a form of war in which two tribes seek to, uh, to conquer and destroy their opponents in pursuit of the spoils of war, namely power and wealth. Since victory affords the, the, the winner power and wealth, candidates make effort to convince voters that if elected, they will use that power and wealth either for the greater good or for the good of their constituents. Normally, war cripples everyone involved, its participants, the territories, the theater in which the war is waged. A theater plagued by war is robbed of the resources it needs to grow, develop, and prosper. The way America has been able to stay healthy and strong despite these wars, namely elections, until recently was because combatants held a value higher than the mere acquisition of wealth and power. They shared a common love for our sacred and beloved land, the United States of America. 
Yes, they were desperate to win and seize control over as much power and wealth as possible. But that passion and ambition was not to be chased so madly that it would hurt our beloved country. What has blossomed in recent times, however, tragically, is that anti-Americanism has infected all American institutions, especially education, and this all-important protector or governor or guardrail of namely a shared love of country has been removed. What remains now is only war. This is the first great tragedy of our current situation. All we have is war. We do not share a love of country. That's why the political climate is so oppressive and so difficult for us to bear as people who are trying to live our lives constructively as American citizens. The second great tragedy in our elections at present is that campaigns and elections have become so bloated and gorged with lucre, with money to be made, that now the war never ends. We have lost the cycles of campaigning, voting, finishing, followed by governing. All we have now is one incessant bloody war that never stops. A child is shot. This is a campaign moment. A public figure has betrayed our trust. This is a campaign moment. We have abandoned and lost our beloved citizens in a foreign and hostile land. This is a campaign moment. All we have is war. No country, no pause. I believe wise political an analysts are not especially needed to scrutinize the minutiae of the recent midterms, per se. Of course, there'll be the money seeker advisor types that will do nothing but that. But I believe mature analysts should urgently dedicate ourselves to the study of what has become of the American democratic process itself whether it can be rescued and our country with, with it. The second and final point I want to make in this podcast is that combatants in what has now become an unending American civil war, namely campaigns and elections, understand elections entirely different from one another. Each side has entirely different beliefs about elections. One side believes in elections. The other side believes in winning. Side one believes that the most important thing for America is that its elections are reliable and true, that each person's vote is sacred, and that this is the cornerstone of our equality. It's the single most pressing requisite for the preservation of the republic. People on this side trust the process, they wait patiently for the appointed opportunity to vote as their way to participate and have some way in pub, some say in public affairs. This side believes in elections. They believe the future of our country depends on whether or not we are able to have true elections. Contrary, the other side believes in winning, not in elections. The second side believes that winning is the only hope. 
for the preservation of the country. This second side believes that elections cannot be trusted and that voters cannot be trusted. They believe that if the wrong side wins, America will be irrevocably harmed and its citizens endangered, and that it is therefore the moral duty of this side and its candidates to win at any cost, lying, cheating, stealing, violence, any cost. The future of America, they believe, depends on them winning no matter what it takes. Perhaps we can find a simple analogy. Imagine a boxing match in which one of the boxer believes in the sport, loves the sport, respects the sport, wants young people to be able to come into it with the trust in its fairness as, as a good contest of combatants. The other side, on the other hand, believes merely in winning. Boxer A thinks, of course I want to win. I will do everything in my power to prevail over my opponent, but I will never hurt the sport. Boxer B, on the other hand, thinks Boxer A is a horrible and dangerous person. There is That boxer, Boxer B, thinks there's nothing wrong with putting a horseshoe in my boxing gloves. My greatest obligation to boxing fans everywhere is that Boxer A stands zero chance of winning, no matter what I have to do to bring that outcome about. Even if he's a superior boxer, I will make sure that the outcome will never be that he prevails. I am in charge of giving the world what it needs, namely that Boxer A is removed from competition, removed from existence so far as is possible for me. In this case, Boxer B is sure that they have done the world good by putting horseshoes in their boxing gloves. They believe they are behaving courageously, virtually, and morally. Boxer A cannot be allowed to win at any cost. This is the case in American politics today. Side A believes elections are sacred, the same as Boxer A will honor the sport even if it means losing. Side B believes winning is sacred. Lying, cheating, and stealing are fine and good. In doing so, they are saving America from bad people. Immediately prior to the presidential election, side B, the side that believes in winning, put in, in place a great many instruments in their determination to win at all costs, even at the cost of honest, true, legitimate elections. Side A was asleep at the wheel, had been for 30 years, and was slaughtered in the ring. For two years since 2020, Side A has been trying to plug a thousand holes of fraud and deceit that were put in place prior to the 2020 election dur uh, during 2020, utilizing the pandemic as an excuse to violate constitutional norms for elections and also employing the media uh, uh, bolstered cynical and false narrative of voter suppression, of course, constantly calling on the race card. Since that loss in 2020, Side A has clawed its way back up the cliff and so far has recovered the House of Representatives. The work now for both sides, A and B, 
is to pause the war, please. Re-enter the cycles in which governing is part of the time we spend in our country. Pause the war and collaborate to govern. The work for Republicans is to keep fighting even unto death to recover or perhaps build for the first time true, reliable, fair, honest, transparent elections. The second task for Republicans is to stop fighting inside your own party. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk again soon.